I'm Stephanie Fu, and this is Pilot. So, I love podcasts. In fact, I help produce one every week during my day job at This American Life. But I gotta say, when you scroll through the podcasts on iTunes, you see a lot that feature two dudes huddled around a microphone in a basement, just talking about what Chris Brown filed this week, which is cool and all, but I believe in a diversity of different kinds of content. When you turn on the TV, you see content that's made for all kinds of people. You see Antiques Roadshow, The Real Housewives, Adult Swim, Game of Thrones. And I can't think of a single good reason why audio can't be more like video in that way. So here on Pilot, each episode will be a different idea for a podcast. Sometimes big things, sometimes small. Each will be one and done. And if you want to take one of these ideas and run with it, more power to you. I welcome it. Just let me know on Twitter. You can find me at I'm on the radio. And since this is our very first episode, it's only apt that this week's pilot is called Beginning to Beginning. Here's the elevator pitch. Two creators share their very first terrible works of art with each other and talk about how they got their start. Like, what if we had Carrie Brownstein playing her very first songs for Patti Smith? Or Spielberg and Lucas playing each other their embarrassing childhood films? Or how cool would it be if Zadie Smith and Chimamanda Diche read their high school fan fiction to each other? But today, those two people are me and my boss and mentor, Ira Glass. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay. 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 So, Ira Glass is about to play me one of his very first ever radio stories. Has uh, anybody ever heard this in the past 35 years or so? Well, not not thirty five years, but uh, well, wait. Actually, it would be thirty five years. I thought you were you're making fun of me, but no. Actually, thirty five <laughs> years is exactly when it's aired. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody has. There'd be no reason for anybody to hear this. Hot I, I, exclusive. I, it is an exclusive. Um, I should say I've brought in a bunch of cassettes here, just to let you know. Like, here's one of the original pilots for This American Life from twenty years ago. Wow. Uh, and then this one. Look at the title of this one. Gump, Gump for, and anti-gump. Yeah, exactly. We, we and one of the pilots for This American Life was a diet was a series of stories against the movie Forrest Gump. What do you got against Forrest Gump? It, uh, it's not worth going into right now. <laughs> and then the thing I'm going to play you is the reason why I have my job. I was an intern mm-hmm. in the promos department at NPR when I was 19, and I really didn't know much about radio at all. I just kind of stumbled on NPR looking for like something interesting to do for the summer. And I had never heard NPR on the air. I had never heard of NPR when I got a job at NPR. <laughs> to be fair to me, it was 1978. Like no one had heard of NPR. Like like NPR had begun six years before. And so as an intern in the promos department, so I was working for free for the summer and I would just make promos for the different shows. And there was one guy on staff whose job it was to invent uh, radio to invent how do you make a documentary? How do you make, what's a new way to think about how you making doc, how to make a documentary? His name was Keith Talbot. Every one of his documentaries was just beautiful sound design. Mm-hmm. And he would have original music scored for most of them. And um, in the promo, I recreated the sound of his documentary. And, uh, and, and basically he was just like, oh, nobody in the regular promos department has ever gone to the trouble to make something that sounds like the show. <laughs> like, you know, and then he hired me the following summer and that's why I'm here. Without that, I wouldn't have gone into radio probably. Like every half of what I know about radio, I know from him. And so this promo actually is the reason why you have a job working for me. 
Do you want to hear grateful. the promo? Yes, do you want to hear do. the promo? Okay. How old were you when you made this? 1978. I was 19. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. If you look someone square in the face, that person is not going to mug you. Because it's Thursday, I can't park on either side of the street, so I have to sit here till 11 o'clock so I don't get a ticket. And every night you have to move your car from side to side. Can you survive a day in New York City? NPR's options will take you strolling, shopping, and touring from the sidewalks of Wall Street and the lawns of Central Park to the top of the World Trade Center. You'll find out how people do survive in New York. Everything. Yeah, but it's, uh, Toys, everything. When I'm sober, I, I like a small town, a small city. I can't stand the hassle. I'm drunk, I don't care what happens. I'm Mike Waters. Join me for New York City, the Grand Tour, from Options, on National Public Radio. It ends with 10 seconds of music, so the local station can say that'll be at 3 o'clock here on W-whatever. So when you were... Just listening to the beginning of that, you were like, wow, crazy. What's going, what doesn't make you feel listening to that? Well, first of all, I remember every single quote. Like, it's weird. I haven't heard that probably since the year we did it. And uh, and I just remember all the tape. And, uh, you know, I hear that there's actually a level problem. Like, there's a quote in the middle of the promo. Did you notice it comes in too low? <laughs> just like, it's like, oh, we're going to boost the level in that quote. It could have been a little louder. I can hear you in it, I feel like. Is that true? I feel like I can. With the music selection yeah. and the very human um, quotes that you chose of, out of, I'm sure, tons and tons of footage. Um, not yeah, footage, no, no, no. I know, yeah, no, no. I, I definitely like. I, I hear a thing. Like, I, I definitely I do I recognizably hear myself in that promo for sure. And uh, the writing's a little corny for sure. Uh, but uh, but but the quotes are funny and and they're lined up and the pacing works. And and the way I use music on This American Life, I learned from Keith. I learned from this guy. Like that, the reason why we mix the way we do, the reason why it sounds the way it do is all stuff that I learned from him. He was one of the first people to do stories where the characters in the stories would narrate the stories. And then sometimes he would invent fictional characters who would narrate the stories. Like one of my favorite shows of his is the show called Ocean Hour. And it's a series of vignettes. And once you get into each vignette, it's the last three or four minutes. Um, but the thing that gets you from thing to thing are these, um, are these uh, fictional characters who are sitting on a dock. And one of them is telling the other about an imaginary friend who he had when he was a kid. And the imaginary friend knew everything about the ocean. Oh so he God. was super inventive. I'm just imagining all of you guys sitting around in black turtlenecks. It's exactly right. <laughs> doing all this yeah, avant-garde it's to- radio stuff. It's shocking none of us smoked pot. It really is shocking. But you had ponytails, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, I'm, so tell me a, uh, a little bit about this next thing I'm going to play. Okay, so this next thing is the very first story that I did of my own as a reporter and got onto a national show. So this is okay. this is aired on All Things Considered in June, uh, June 29th, 1980. All right, here we go. This is what a good documentarian it is. I am. Is that um? Is that I'm documenting? This is the story that was before mine on All Things Considered. That's the narration of All Things Considered. Listen how they did it. From Boston, our movie superfan, Thomas Joseph, heard from time to time on All Things Considered. The ad read, Calling All Apes. If you're an undiscovered actor and want to be an anonymous ape, bring a resume and a photo to the University of Maryland Student Center. 
Reporter, uh, reporter Ira Glass went to the auditions for Beyond... I like my very first story, he stumbles on my Diane name. Hammett, a student in veterinary medicine, decided to make this unofficial sequel to Planet of the Apes after she designed a new kind of non-cracking mold for the ape makeup. She's putting $15,000 of her own money into the film, not much for a feature-length movie, which means that none of the 138 would-be apes at the audition will get paid. Can we just pause it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, so how are you feeling about the narration style? Um, you're, you're so gung-ho. You're really enthusiastic. <laughs> it's, it's, you know how when you're um, reading a comic book and you see um, random words be bolded? Yes. That's what it feels like. Yeah, that was my narration style for the first decade <laughs> of my career. Yeah, okay, okay. let's keep going. That doesn't matter. I'm going to do it because I love acting. Look at the apes that were in 2001. Those were actors. Those are probably the... Some of the finest acting uh, in the last 20 years on film. How do you play an ape? <laughs> Most people at the audition took that question very seriously. I really underlining very in that. You have to project a little bit more for you. It's almost like stage work, but you just simply have to project to get past all that foam. The slouch. The only thing I really have is the eyes to give a lot of the expression. The eyes and, of course, body movements. The lightly rolling walk. Trying to apply my character and seeing things from an ape's point of view. A hesitancy. <laughs> go study one. Go down to the National Zoo and watch. Dude, nice job. You mean with the Vox? You mean like cutting yeah. from person to person? Yeah, this is good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I have to say, like, this was my move in my early career. Like, I was, I'm, I'm such an awkward interviewer. You don't hear me ask any questions on tape because if you did, you they are? would just be stumbling. I think I must have been. But, like, my one skill was I knew how to edit tape. Mm-hmm. In a way, like, that was the same thing as in that promo you heard. Yeah, that was my yeah. one basic Again, skill. We can hear your voice. All right, you keep going. Yeah. A certain twitchiness. An evolved ape, he's going to stand more erect. So you got to do your homework. And if he's sort of a lower ape, he's going to be more squat to the ground. Ability to not stand perfectly still. Olivier says he starts with the costume. Find that the right handkerchief or the right glove. Or the right paw. Or the right paw. Or the left paw. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! (laughs) Because we came from apes, right? Now, this is my big concept, is that I knew that there's this song by James Taylor called Gorilla. And I was like, oh, I, this is how smart I was. I was like, I'm just going to use that song. And I learned how to loop music. And so if you listen now, I'm looping what is probably six seconds of music over and over and over again. I was as that, that level of production. Was that a new technology? It wasn't a new technology, but it was new to me. You know <laughs> okay. what I mean? Like so, I, you, you, so when you were doing this, you were like really proud of yourself. I was really proud of myself. This was the very limit of everything I could do in radio. The actors may be on the wrong track with all their theories about aping apes. Director Jeff Canfield said his primary criterion for choosing the 21 best actors was much simpler. Mostly I look for physical size when it comes to the apes. Uh, Shorter people and women, even as male apes, all the way up to the very tall people for gorillas. Like the film's producers, most actors at the audition were just looking for some film experience and for that distant possibility of a break in Hollywood. It would be a film credit. So, you know, I don't care what I have to play out there. You want to be an ape? No, not really. (laughs) I want to be a star. For National Public Radio, I'm Ira Glass. He's got arms like legs. See, it timed out. (laughs) It's great. I made that. (laughs) I made that happen. You did. Like a donut. (laughs) He's got a tendency to overeat. Nice, nice placement of that young 
Ira Glass. Wow, that was that was really good. Are for you being serious? Your first thing that was really good. It was corny and. I don't know. It was funny. It was funny. If you're going to do a story about the Planet of the Apes, that's a really good angle. Well, I, I am really amazed that you th- are feeling like that was good. Do I sound like myself? I can't even tell. I do kind of, right? Kind of, yeah. You know, you sound so much more Jewish. You sound so like Woody Allen. Is that true? Wait, what, what makes it more Jewish? Like, 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 Walk me through that. What, what are you hearing? What makes it Jewish? I can't. That'd be just racist. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, <laughs> no, just like the end of your words, sort of like the, 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 the that sort there's of. There's a kind of there's a kind of I'm asking a lot of questions and, and yeah. then raising my voice at the end of sentences. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you remember in the process of making it, like knowing that it was going to go on All Things Considered, being really excited and. I am absolutely sure that that like all the early stories I did, I couldn't believe they they went out. Like it was amazing to mm. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a million people are going to hear this thing, and it was going to be all over the country. Like I totally remember that feeling. You know, which is you know like an eighth of the audience of Serial. You know what I mean? Like like it's still it's a lot of people, but like you know, anyway, just to think about context. Wow. Yeah. Well, mine did not go. Across the country. <laughs> Nobody listened to mine. I think like probably 10 people listened to it. Um, and not you, thankfully, despite the fact that I gave this to you. Um, now, where, where were we that you gave this to me? It was actually um, almost six years ago exactly. December 6, 2009. You performed at Berkeley Zeller Buck Hall. Performed, I gave a, a speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end, you said one last question. And uh, I stood up. And I, like, thrust my arm into the air, and you said, you. And I was all shaky and nervous, and I said, hi, I'm starting my own podcast, and it's called Get Me on This American Life, and um, I have a CD here, and, and would you listen to it? And you were so gracious and kind, and you told me, come on up, and I ran up, and I gave it to you, and everybody applauded, and this huge theater, it was like 3,000 people were all cheering, and then I remember driving over the Bay Bridge on my way home, just being like, "Yes, yes!" And of course, you never listened to it. I'm sorry, I didn't no. listen to your thing. <laughs> but I, I say that with shame, not pride. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm very, very, very nervous playing this for you. Um, but I have to say that, <laughs> like, like retroactively, I'll hear it and I'll be like, "All right, that's it. You're fired." <laughs> like I'm, I was wrong about you. A little bit. Oh, God. I don't know. Or you'll just know how big of a fan girl. I mean, we were all fan. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, I. I Wait, listened... is this going to be creepy? Is that what you're telling no, me? Is it no. going to be creepy? <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe. I all don't right. know. I don't know. Okay. But I have to say, though, it, it's just bad. It's just really bad. Okay. Okay. So. Upon entering the Adult Video Network Expo, the largest porn convention in the world, Stop. the first. Um, how old are you when you're recording this? Um, 21. Okay. The first thing you notice is not the wall of fake vaginas, the eight-foot-long mechanical dildo, or the erect Tom Jones impersonator. Wait, the erect Tom Jones impersonator? You mean yeah. he's a man he's who's a- walking around who's Tom Jones, but he's he's erect? Yes. Okay. It's the towering makeshift spires throughout the echoing hall, advertising the exhibitors. Bang Brothers, Digital Playground, Vivid... But this is not the scene of decadence and excess appears to be. 
Apparently, last year, the number of towers comprised a full-on metropolis. This year's setup pales in comparison. It's weird. Some sentences you're just like rushing through. I know. And then others you're totally overselling. And it's like you, it's like two completely different strategies, neither <laughs> of which works. And you alternate between the two. Yeah. The adult film industry has always relied on DVD sales for most of its income. But now with a vast selection of free tube-style websites with endless pirated pro and amateur material... There's no real reason to pay Wait, for what's porn. the is it what, what's the what's the question you're going into this thing with? Like why are you there? Just, just, just give it a second. Okay. Adult DVD sales dropped a whopping 22% between 2008 and 2009. The shocking lack of customers even incited porn moguls Joe Francis and Larry Flint to infamously request a 5 billion dollar bailout from the US government. Just like journalism and television, porn is being screwed by the internet. <laughs> uh, and we're 30 seconds in. We're, we're, it's porn, is, porn is being screwed. Pause. <laughs> by the internet. <laughs> Wait, it was such a complicated thought in a way. Just like journalism and Washington? Television. Television. Yeah. Just like journalism and television. Porn is being screwed. This is 2009. By the internet. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. this new thing, the internet. Yeah. Wait, is the thesis going to be like, oh my God, this Just porn industry Just give it can't... a second. Okay. But giving up on favorite titles like John and Kate F8 would be a little <laughs> premature. We Was it like a premature whatever joke? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. This recession. I'm Stephanie Fu. You're listening to Get Me On This American Life this week, <laughs> our porn star guide to surviving the recession. I do respect the hustle of naming, <laughs> can I just say, I completely respect the hustle oh, of naming God. the podcast Get Me On This American Life. It, it was going to be the thing that got me the internship, hopefully. Did you, did you send it in with the internship application? I didn't, because I got a job. This got me a job at uh, SNAP before the internship deadline. Oh, so mission accomplished. Yeah. 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 Step one, diversify. When you think of a porn star, you're probably envisioning a chemical blonde with triple D boobs and puffy lips. But as any good businesswoman knows, you don't beat out your competition by just imitating them. You've got to bring something to the table. Misty Stone, for example, is extremely I'm really successful. scared of where this is going. <laughs> okay, what is she going to bring to the table? She also has tiny, perky boobs. I do. I don't know how I, I'm so successful with these, but yeah, it works. <laughs> and I haven't done anal yet either. Can't you believe that? And I got all these nominations. That's crazy, right? Shut up. And she's doing it by being a different kind of porn star. People are bored of the blow-up doll. First of all, like you're really, the microphone is really far from her, so you're scared of her or something. Or I just didn't understand about mic placement, I think. Nobody nobody taught me how to do any of this. I was borrowing my boss's Marantz. I got a ride share, was couch surfing, and I lied. Oh, good for you. Like flirted with random dudes outside of the AVN conference to even get in and like get passes for me and my friend. And so, no, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing at all. Okay, so, but, so, okay, so, but you're talking to a porn star, <laughs> and then your question is like, how did you bring up like, do you remember like how you brought up the size of her boobs? Because that's not a conversation I would have gotten into. Yeah, I was like, you, you don't have fake boobs. I can't help but notice you don't have fake boobs. Oh, you went right for it. Yeah, oh, that's good. <laughs> they want something new. 
And if you're going to carve out a niche for yourself, it helps to step two, know your audience. Danny Black is a massively ripped black man with big, soft eyes. His slogan? He's a gentleman. A nasty gentleman. <laughs> His loyal audience has been expanding rapidly. Okay, you're overselling <laughs> that line for sure. He knows what his fans want. Very white females, I guess, are the largest. And uh, the husbands like to watch or imagine their wives with a black man. So that is the audience that actually picked up and followed me and seemed to support me the most. Where do you think that want comes from? That's a really good question. Probably old racial, the whole slave trade thing, the whole slave master okay. sneaking out to the outhouse. They want the black male to have this dominant persona to come and take their wives. So when I first got started, it was introduced to me. I thought. Oh wait, are you, wait, is it a tape to tape transition? Oh my god! Is that what's happening? Oh my god. We're going straight from that no, to. No, no, no. Rocks. <laughs> Okay, so let's just discuss. No, 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 no. It's about somebody who's a sex worker. It's about somebody who's a prostitute, which is different than what he is, really. Yes, exactly. It's not relevant song. He's a theatrical performer. Can we just talk about, like, that is, like, really, like, not... That it's just, like, a confusing job to have. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) here's my job. I have sex with white ladies on camera so that... Not so because the white ladies like to see it, but the husbands like to imagine their wives with me. Yes, like that's a, just like such a ball of thoughts. It's a ball of thoughts, and uh, I wish that I could have gone deeper. But you know what's interesting about Danny Black actually is that he really liked the podcast when it came out, um, and he was a huge fan. When you say every time the podcast came out, how many episodes of this were there? Oh, like six. Not that many. Wait, there are six episodes of a, of a podcast called, like, Get Me Onto This American Life? Yes. Wow. Those days are over. You don't have to say a- That's totally a violation of our copyright. You can't just use our name in some other podcast. <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> my name in there is Nicole, so I wanted to leverage that. So we're standing around, you know, trying to come up with an appropriate name. Just said something like, you know, the, these hot big black cocks make me drip, and they're like wet. You know, this is it, Nicole wet. I mean, everybody just went, yeah. This is the most unbroadcastable <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Like literally, just like the number of FCC like violations you just you just violated right there. Like you've conjured all these images. You're just totally like violating the law. It's the favorite. beauty of podcasting. I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out that Nicole Wett has actually been on Danny Black's Hot Black Cock. Porn industry is a small world. That is really like an enthusiastic line reading of that. (laughs) I didn't realize it at the time, but... Well... And how do you feel when you hear that? It's painful that you're editing this like as if... (laughs) (laughs) Like as if I'm submitting it to you as a draft. (laughs) Which you were at one point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but come on. Like, number one, I feel like you are recognizable yourself in this. That That is, like, the way you're just hurtling yourself at this story, trying everything you can think of. I totally recognize the you that I know. And respect. 
and oh. I respect that in in twenty one year old Stephanie Fu too. Like oh. like like you're they, Snap Judgment was right to hire you on this. Like it's clear. Like like you will just make it happen, and we'll just figure out what you like, and it's all there, in a way that that's great. <laughs> okay, so so when you hear this, what do you think? I'm dying. I am dying. It was really it's really hard to listen to. Why? Well, I know why. Just because all it's so, like every all the lines are so embarrassing. The things you're saying is that it? Yeah, yeah. Like it's really, really painful, and I really can't believe that I was a person at one point and that was so inept at things. But it also makes me really nostalgic because kind of the best part is the beginning, really. Because you don't. I mean, there were no stakes really. Um, I mean, obviously there was a goal, <laughs> but. Um, I knew that I was going to be really bad at it. And so I could just have fun and experiment and, yeah. And that seemed more fun than what you do now? No, it's not more fun. It's just different. Well, no, you already said it was more fun. <laughs> you said the best part is the beginning. <laughs> Don't backpedal now. <laughs> stand stand your ground. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of neuroticism and worry about doing a good, the best job possible once you're actually decent at it, right? And when you're first starting, I was just free. I don't know. See, I, I understand that. But but I think like when I think about like the first things I did, I did not feel free like that. Like from the beginning, I felt like, oh, it has to be really special. It has to be really good. And and simply <laughs> often failed at that. You know what I mean? And, and so I like for me, like when you say like, oh, the beginning's so much better. Um, like honestly, the, like it doesn't feel that different to me now than it did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 in both ways, like like at the beginning, I felt I felt like oh, I I really really want it to be special, and if it's not special, I'm I'm not into it. And 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 also in the way now where I I I I I I know this sounds like really like a corny thing to say, but I I constantly feel like the sh- the radio show is new, and I feel the same excitement. Like when I went out a week ago, you know, to like ride the bus in Detroit with some random like refugee lady. Like it just it didn't feel any different than it did like when I was twenty two and going out to like get tape with somebody, except I just now have more things that I know about how to do it well. But my like my feeling about it, like as corny as this is to say, like I feel like excited and I was like, How am I gonna make this work? And like and and when I'm getting the tape I feel the same thing and and the the radio show itself still feels like, Oh, it's ours to just remake and remake and remake. <clears throat> I think that's your secret. Did you, did you ever see Jira Dreams of Sushi? No, and I want to see it. It's good, right? It's really good. But it in watching it, it's about this guy who makes sushi. And I just kept thinking of you the whole time because he's just such a perfectionist. And he's like in his 80s. And he's doing the simple thing of putting fish on rice. And every day he's like, I'm going to figure out how to do this better and make it new. And he's like... Unequivocally, that's the secret to success. And uh, I think that you instill that sort of, um, for better and for worse, that feeling within all of us as well, where obviously it's great to be like trying new things and feeling like you're new at this every day. And of course, there's a feeling sometimes that's overwhelming, like, oh God, (laughs) this is never going to end. I'm always going to feel terror about the work that I'm making, but I but guess it isn't good. ever going to end if you're doing a good job. Right. It isn't going to end if you're not scared. It's not going to be good. Right. Like I feel like uh, like pretty much every week I go through a tremendous amount of fear. 
and anxiety. Hmm. And uh, and oh if God. this show feels hard all the time, it still feels really hard. Like we're doing, we've been doing it for 20 years. It still feels really hard to me to make the show. But you love that fear. You've come to like... No, 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 but 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 like just um just accept that like that's what it's like to make stuff for your job like that's what it means to have a job where you make stuff. I mean I don't know like you say like that's what it takes to be a success, but I don't even think of it that way. Like I think of it as just like that's what it takes for something to be interesting to do. Like 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 uh, the, my experience of it is at that level. Like like what I want is a job that I can stand, and like that's what it takes for that. You know. Hmm. But how does how has the fear changed? Has oh, the has like the quality changed? of fear changed from then yes. to now? Yeah. Like 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 obviously like after 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 making so many things that worked out and so many things that were so hard that worked out, like I understand way better now that uh the chances are we're gonna figure it out. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like that the show's gonna be good. Mm-hmm. Um so so I go, so so I have way more confidence about what can happen and the speed at which it can happen. Like I'm way faster now. And let me just play you the very last line. So here we are almost at the end of our show. We have one more tip, last but not least. Don't freak out. Here's Sarah Faye from Mustang Ranch, legal brothel in Sparks, Nevada. Men always want sex and they always want alcohol. It's true. And it's why, no matter what, even in the apocalypse, people will still be trading their last cans of spam for sex. I wish I could say the same about journalism. I dream of the day when I'll be able to say, Men always want fair and balanced news coverage and always want informative podcasts. (laughs) But thanks to AVN, if this podcast doesn't get me on This American Life, I now have a financial backup plan. Oh God, Ira, please don't let it come to that. (laughs) Wow, you really... You know, you were going so good there at the end. I like the piece of writing until like complete desperation kicked in. <laughs> you literally are saying like, "Please give me a job, or I will become a sex worker." That's Plan B. Well, thank God that you did then. <laughs> course, I have to add that slut-shaming was just another really, really, really cringe-worthy mistake that 21-year-old Stephanie made and that 28-year-old Stephanie knows enough to apologize for. So, uh, yeah, sorry for that last line. Hashtag I stand with Stoya. Anyway, it's incredible and incredibly intimidating to interview Ira Glass, even when you do see him every day. I learned so much from listening to myself interview him and listening to the skill with which he interviewed me. Namely, that next time I shouldn't go so easy on him and I should give him more shit for the plinky plonky music and his monkey stories. Thanks for making the time to chat with me, Ira. If you had ideas for how you could do that better, don't tell me. I'm never doing another one of those again. Instead, do it yourself. Make your own version of this podcast. And again, let me know at I'm on the radio. The music and pilot is by Froyo Ma. Thanks for listening. See you next time.